This is episode 85 of the Juice Box Podcast, and it is sponsored by Omnipod. Okay, so Basil's behind me snoring while I record this introduction, but I just have to tell you a little bit about this episode. <laughs> there he goes. So I record these sometimes months in advance of you hearing them, sometimes days in advance, and then I go back and I edit. When I edit, I get to sort of hear it for the first time, you know, not while I'm directly involved in it. Sometimes I realize more happened than I thought. You know, and this is definitely one of those. This is Katie. Katie's an adult who has had type 1 diabetes since she was a younger child. Katie is very open and honest about how much she just ignored her type 1 diabetes for many, many years. She talks about what snapped her into it. She talks about her family and the impact that may have had on it. This is a very, keep snoring, Basil. This is a very, very interesting and personal episode of the Juicebox podcast. On top of that, the dogs interrupted us one time. This was recorded during the summer. Arden's blood sugar got really low. You're going to kind of hear that happen. This one's good. I mean, I say they're all good, and I think they are. Maybe this one's better than good. This one's, this one's informative. It's interesting. It's honest. It's real. Yeah, this is Katie. Hello? Katie? Yeah. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. You sound good. Thanks. <laughs> What's your setup? What do you What are you using for headphones? Um, I have. It's called the Jabra Revo headphones. Really, works great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, cool. so you're nervous? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because you think you're going to overshare? Uh, yeah, that and just like public speaking in general is kind. Of, like I know people listen to it, so. Well, nobody's listening right now, though. Right now, it's <laughs> just true. you and me. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Um, it's going to be fine. So, uh, if you're ready, we'll just jump right in. Okay. Cool. Uh, just introduce yourself and then I will ask you a bunch of silly questions. You'll answer them and we'll be done before you know it. Okay. Uh, so my name's Katie. I've been uh, type one for 15 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go, Katie. So what are you about? Yeah. You're 27? I'm 27. Okay. Diagnosed when you're 12. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see where to start. Hmm. Being diagnosed at 12 seems like it would not be easy. You're just about, if not kind of already moving into puberty, right? Or if not right. almost there. Mm -hmm. um, probably becoming more and more aware every day of just who you are and, you know, what you're trying to present into the world and everything. And then all of a sudden this happened. So that's 2000 and, uh-oh, hold on, 15... 2012? 2? 2002? Uh, 2001. Maybe it was 2012. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my, math, my math is stellar, as you can tell. So, um, okay, so the early 2000s, and, yeah. and, you're, um, and you're diagnosed. Is that insulin pump time, or do they give you, what do they give you then? Um, so I was MDI for about eight months. Mm -hmm. And then they put me on a pump. All right, great. So you've been on a pump ever since? Uh-huh. Did you at any point get on the uh, a CGM? Um, yes. So in January this year. Oh, just I, recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very recently. Okay. So diagnosed at 12, what's the first big issue? Are you? Is it during the school year when you're diagnosed or is it summertime? Yeah. So it was in April. Um so my symptoms lasted for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I um, 
probably two to three months is where I was really noticing like I was thirsty, uh, going to the bathroom a lot, and I kind of was hiding it from my parents. I just, I'm kind of a person who doesn't like a lot of attention on themselves and I didn't want, like, for some reason, I just didn't want my parents to know how sick I was. And so, so, so you had a feeling you were, you were ill. Um, I could tell I was going to the bathroom a lot and drinking a lot. And then towards the end, when I was like throwing up and stuff, I actually was hiding from my parents that I was throwing up. So yeah, by that point I knew I was sick, but and my mom did know that I threw up. She just didn't know how often I was throwing up. Right. Um, so and what pushed it over the edge? How did you, how did that come to a head and you ended up at the doctor? So I actually, my mom's best friend, um, had a son that's a type one diabetic. And he, so he'd been diagnosed three years before, also at the age of 12. Um, and we were at her house. She did our hair. Um, and she was doing my hair and she told my mom, Katie looks really sick. Something's wrong with her. Um, do you care if I go and get my son's meter and we can check her blood sugar? So they test my blood sugar and it just says hi. Right. And she says, you need to take Katie to the doctor, like to the emergency room now. And so my mom, my mom also, I think the whole family, we're just kind of like these denial people. <laughs> so she wanted uh, to take me to the Instacare and we went and it was closed. Mm-hmm. And so the next morning my, I went to school and Um, my mom's friend called her and said, I didn't want to bother you guys last night. I'm sure every, because she was sure that I was a diabetic. And she said, I didn't want to bother you guys last night, but I just wanted to call and check in how you guys are doing. And she goes, uh, Katie's at school. And so my friends or my mom's friend dropped everything she was doing and drove straight to my school. And she checked me out of school. And she drove me to the hospital and my mom, who was at work, left work and met her at the hospital. And my mom checked me into the emergency room. That's a very good friend. Do you, are you still close? Yeah, actually. Um, I see her probably every two or three months. Yeah, so. that, that's really spectacular that she she was concerned enough for you to just go from being like politely like, hey, I didn't want to bother you to I'm going to go get your kid out of school now and take him to the doctor. So <laughs> that's really great. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. All right. So. You're, I mean, if you're throwing up, you're in DKA? Yeah, um, I, I'm assuming I was in DKA for probably at least a week, yeah. if not more. How bad, um, how high was your blood sugar by the time you got there? It was 880. Yeah, that's high. Um, how long did it take you to get out of the hospital? Um, I was there for three days. Okay, that seems about right. Now, so when you leave, um, what's it like trying to absorb all this and get started in a new life when you're 12? So, um, I actually took on, um, the responsibility very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, the nurse, when she came in for my first like insulin shot, um, and she's like, cat, I'm going to do it for you this time. And then, then we'll practice. And I was like, well, can I just do it? And so she handed it to me and I just did it myself. And so I never, my parents never gave me injections. Um, I was kind of, my mom would remind me to test, but I was in charge of dosing and everything Mm -hmm. from the get-go. 
Wow, that's yeah. excellent. So, and is that just so? So it's sort of interesting, right? Because a, a little bit of a a black and white situation here. Like you, when you were sick, you didn't want to tell anybody, but once you knew you were sick, you were like, "I can handle this." Yeah, I think part of it um, of me, like I'm going to handle this, was because I didn't want the attention on me, and if someone else was handling it, then they were thinking of me, and no, so that's what it I was made trying it to a get big, to. Yeah, 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 it's making it a bigger deal than what it. Okay. what I wanted it to be. So that is definitely what I was trying to get to. So you are a private person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you would, there's probably nothing you wouldn't do to keep the, the spotlight off of you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, how, how did that work? Did it work out well? Did you get to school and were you able to stay as private as you wanted to be or, or how did it go? So, um, April school was about to finish up. So, um, I actually went, I think I only took one day off of school to stay at home, and then the next day I was at school. So everybody knew. In fact, um, another friend, her dad was my nurse, and the day that I missed for school, he came in and talked to the class about diabetes, and then, so it was just the tail end of my sixth grade year. Yeah. Everyone was kind of, they knew about it, Um and it, I, I don't think I could have avoided keeping the spotlight off of me right then. But then the next year, seventh grade um, was middle school for me. Mm-hmm. And so you I was buildings. Yeah. Okay. So I switched buildings, and um, you know, a whole new group of kids. So the people who knew me from elementary school knew, but they never knew like it was a big deal or anything like that. And then um, other people, I didn't necessarily hide that I was a diabetic, but I didn't, I thought testing my blood sugar would gross people out. So I didn't want people to see me test my blood sugar or give shots because that's how it felt then. It grossed them out. Mm -hmm. Do you still feel that way? Um, yes and no. So now like at work, um, if I, I need to test my blood sugar, if someone's directly talking to me or like in front of me, then I just do it anyways. But, um, like, I, I still won't, like, whip it out and be like, hey, everyone, you know, I just kind of... Everyone gather around while I make myself <laughs> bleed. And yeah. yeah no, I get that. Um, it's interesting because just a couple of episodes ago, I talked to a 14-year-old boy named um, Ian, and he had such an insight about about how to present himself in the world. And so I was just interested in how you were doing it, too. Um, but But, okay, so... You're 12 years old, you're in school, you're not hiding, you're, you're trying to stay private, but it's probably not all that possible. You're going mm-hmm. along okay. In, so now, I, before I ask my question, I have a different question. Okay. Since you're so private, tell mm-hmm. me what made you reach out and say that you'd like to come on and do the podcast. Um, so I actually recently, um, after getting Dexcom, um, and then I actually recently also switched to Omnipod. Oh, cool. And so now with two devices and they're kind of, so before I had, um, I've had both Medtronic and Animus, but I was on Medtronic and the, um, insertion site kind of doesn't show as much and I never really wore it on my arms, but with having two things that need sites now and you run out of real estate, I started using my arms more mm-hmm. and I kind of have become like people started asking more questions and like I've kind of, because everything's a lot more visible now, um, I've kind of become more of an advocate, kind of like, oh yeah, let me teach you about 
diabetes. Oh, so that's interesting. So that you basically yeah. didn't have an option to hide it because you changed some, you changed, you went to some different gear basically that's a little more obvious to people if, if you're wearing, wearing a short sleeve shirt or some or shorts or something like that. And mm-hmm. just, just the knowledge that they already knew made you comfortable telling them more. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I don't know how to characterize that, but that's sort of fantastic. So, so can you extrapolate back to being 12 years old? Do you think that if that would have happened sooner, do you think you would have felt that way sooner? Do you think it's a more of an adult concept for you? That's a really interesting question. I don't know. Um, I think it a lot also depends on reactions. So yeah, I think that me being an adult, um, kind of helps with that because I don't always get positive reactions when people ask questions, especially strangers. Okay. Do you have an example of a, of a negative reaction? Uh, yeah, I think pity is definitely the reaction that bothers me the most. Yeah. And that's a very common one that especially strangers or that, you know, they'll see it and then, Oh, are you okay? And like, that must be horrible for you. And I just, I didn't really like the pity kind of a thing. And so, yeah. Have you ever tried going? Yes, it is pretty horrible. (laughs) <laughs> I haven't. No. <laughs> no, I always, oh, no, it's no big deal, and I'm used to it. It's and, so yeah. fine. You know, I don't <laughs> mind at all. The other, it's all great. I love sitting up till 3 in the morning making sure I'm not going to uh, get so low while I'm sleeping that I can't help myself. <laughs> it really is a party. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, okay. So, Katie, you're really interesting because you're, you're a confliction of a lot of different ideas, which I, I, I think makes this really kind of fun to talk about. So, um, you talked about in your, in your email that I think you called your A1Cs tragic. Yes, they were. <laughs> so you, so you took, you took control right away at 12. Your parents probably, I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, but they were like, oh, look, she's got it. This is great. But, yep. <laughs> but you had it in as much as you were doing your best, but not doing, I guess, to the level that you would hope maybe as an adult looking back now would have hoped you like your health was at. Is that about right? Um, so the very, like the first or second, first and second year were better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, especially, so when I was on an MDI, I was also, it was like the planned meals where you eat 60 grams of carbohydrate, this meal and 40 for this meal or whatever. I see. Um, and then the first year with my pump, um, I was still pretty good about counting carbs and well, fairly good. I would still sometimes forget to bolus or something like that. Um, and then so probably 14 years old, um, was when I decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be me. And I just kind of stopped I rarely tested. Um, I would only bolus by the time I was, you know, 400 and kept going to the bathroom. That was my sign. Like, well, maybe I should take some insulin. Gotcha. You know? And so, so you went from for two years, basically doing what you felt like was a pretty good job to all of a sudden you used a phrase like, I'm just going to be me. So that now this is, see, the reason you're really great to have on is because you are a, a basically a, a person in their 20s that has a, f- a fairly fresh perspective about what it's like to be 12, 13, 14 years old with diabetes. And mm-hmm. so c- are you able to look back now and put more context into, I just want to be me? Like what, what was it that having and taking care of your diabetes 
was bringing into your life that you wanted to let go of? So I think I really wanted to be different, uh, or I didn't want, sorry, no. opposite. I didn't want to be different than other people. Right. Um, and I was already feeling pretty different. Um, I had, there was definitely some family situations going on. Mm-hmm. Um, my father had a brain injury. Well, he had a, a tumor when I was really young that he had removed, and it caused traumatic brain injury, which made him not necessarily, you know, the nicest of guys sometimes. Okay. And so I think just I ha- I kind of had a bit of a childhood where things were already abnormal, even if I didn't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to stay under the spotlight and having diabetes was just, I think, too much. And so, stuff so is, I just ignored it. Yeah. So, st- <laughs> so stuff is crazy in your life. And right. you're, you're looking to eliminate something that's crazy. And this, at least the day-to-day, moment-to-moment, you know, machinations of taking care of diabetes, you figured if I just stop them, then that's one less thing to do. And then you put it out. So you were still cognizant, cognitive enough to say, like, well, I don't want to, like, I don't want to end up back in the hospital. So when my blood sugar gets too high, I'll give myself some insulin and, and stop it from happening. But I've at least eliminated all the testing and the and the the insulin and, and all that other sort of stuff. Can I, can I ask you at 14? Mm-hmm. This is such a hard thing to ask you, but um, did, did your parents not intervene? Did they not know it was happening or did they just, what was their level of connectivity to what, what you were doing? So my dad was never connected. Um, my mom would kind of hound me like test more, but it wasn't something that like was ever because I think I took care of it so early. It never was a part of her life and she never really knew how to take care of it either. Mm -hmm. And so she could say test, like take care of your diabetes better. Right. Yeah. She could say what anybody could think to say without knowing anything about it. Right. Right, It's like, you know, with your kids with homework, like, Oh, do your homework. But unless you're like sitting there helping them with their homework, when there's an actual problem, then yeah, it's not doing anything. So, I mean, she would kind of nag at me, but um, she never, like, stepped in like, oh, you should bolus this much or this is this many carbs in it or anything Let like that. Let me try to understand this and help you or something like that. Right. She basically just looked at you and said, suck less. Is that yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fair. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so you're on your own. Let's be honest. Sounds like you're on your own a little bit. You know, they've, they, you've, got, you've got the tools, but you've made a – a 14 year old decision to try to minimize it in your life. At what point now, this is, this is the last part, like, you know, that, that I find interesting. How long did that go on for? It went on for a really long time. Um, so it, it almost became my normal to feel high all the time. Okay. And so, you know, always thirsty, always going to the bathroom. That was just something that was me. Mm Mm-hmm. And, which is funny because I wanted it to like have less attention on me, but I always felt crappy and, you know, I'm always going to the bathroom and stuff. And I think that po- possibly could put even more attention on me, you know, and I wasn't thinking of the long term. I had gotten so used to like my endocrinologist telling me like, you're not going to have feet, you're, you know, you're going to lose your eyesight and stuff that I just... It didn't mean anything anymore. The, the classic um, uh, medical determination that you're not going to have feet. So right. let, let, that's interesting. Let's go down a different road for a second. 
Uh is I hear people talk about this in two different ways, right? Um, Uh At what point as the endocrinologist or the person that only sees you a couple of times a year for 15 minutes, at what point are they down to just like trying to be like, look, your feet are going to fall off, like trying to scare you because they don't, they can't live with you. They're obviously, I mean, they're intelligent people. They're seeing you're not taking care of it. Your mom's not that involved, you know, so now maybe they're down to like just trying to like scare you into it. Is there something they could have done at the time that would have snapped you out of it? Because if there is, I think that's valuable for something like what would have. I mean, I mean, I can kind of guess it sounds like you needed a hug, but 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 do you think that would have helped? Do you think if they would have called you into another room and just gave you a hug and said, Katie, listen, we see how tough your life is, but, you know ignoring your diabetes is not, is not the answer. What can I do to help? Would it have been one of those? What can I do to help you situations? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two things that could have really helped. One was actually, cause my, the only thing I ever got as far as instruction to diabetes was my three day crash course when I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. which not as a 12 year old, I had to, you know, get everything. I never felt like it was always like, you know, count your carbs, use your pump to do the correction kind of thing. And that's not really what diabetes is. You know, there's a lot more to it. And so, I mean, I wouldn't say that straight for, you know, I would try at different times. There'd be a endocrinologist appointment where they would upset me. And then, you know, I would try for a little while. And I think that I would try and I'd fail because I was kind of set up for failure. Okay. And so I feel like if they actually went through and said, hey, when you bolus for pasta, don't bolus the whole thing because you're going to crash and go super low. Here's the extended bolus on your pump that here's you have the tool, but no one ever explained it, you know, extended boluses or anything like that. So I feel like if they actually went through and trained me better, I think that would have helped for the times that I did want to try. Mm And then the thing that actually kind of changed the way that I was taking care of my diabetes was, um, so I got married fairly young, and so I was a married adult. um, How young young were you? When I got married, I was a month away from being 22. I have to tell you, if my dad was angry because of a brain injury and my mom was disconnected from my diabetes, I'd have got married. So I think (laughs) I would have been like, hey, you seem nice. Yeah. (laughs) so okay, so you get you get that is young. My wife was mm-hmm. twenty two when we got married, and uh, yeah. we just celebrated our twentieth anniversary uh, just the other day. But at the same time, I think we both realize how unlikely it is that two people who got married so young st- are still married twenty years later. Like it just feels like not that you're not going to. I'm not trying to bum you out here, yeah. but but like, like you know what I mean. Like it, you you stack yeah. the deck against you, yourself a little bit if you don't know yourself as well when you're younger. I always tell my kids like get married when you're 40. And yeah. um but 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 I guess my point is this is that is that so you you find this person finally, I guess, who cares yeah. about you. Right. And 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 now are you more comfortable in that situation not minding the spotlight on you? So, um he actually he didn't know exactly what was going on either. Um, and so, you know, he just kind of expected like, well, she's had it for, I guess, at that time, Katie must about know what she's 10 doing. years. Yeah. Yeah. So she must know what she's doing. So he, he kind of, you know, he was, he's always been very supportive in what I tell him to be 
Like, if I tell him, like, I need support in this, then he'll support me. Katie, you're already very good at being married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My husband but, does what I, what, he, what I tell him to do, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, you have to tell them or they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, please. So, um, but actually what it was was at a doctor's appointment. Um, there was a, a certified diabetes educator that talked to me after the doctor's appointment, and I'd probably been married about a year at the time. And she said, you know, you know all the long-term effects. I'm not going to lecture you about those. But have you ever thought your husband doesn't know who the real you is? And she just, she talked to me like, you know, your effect, blood sugar affects your mood. And, you know, he obviously loves you. He got married to you. But when, don't you think that he would be you know, so much more in love with a person who's not grumpy at him. And, and she really hit something there where I, you know, I started bawling and like, that was like, kind of my thing was like, okay, if I, I can't do this for me, then I'll do it for my husband. So see now how nice this is. Did you ever yeah. think we were going to get to this? So you, you, so you, found, <laughs> you found, you found a reason to not hide. Yeah. Right. And, and, and let's say now without, impugning anybody too badly mm-hmm. but it makes the point and, and people should know this so they can kind of you know feel it for themselves at any point in your life your doctor your father your mother other people in your life they could have been somebody who made you feel like you didn't want to hide but you just didn't have people around you who gave you that feeling and yeah. and so if you're in a situation and now i'm not talking to you i'm talking to other people if you're in a situation where you can't find somebody who, for whatever reason, makes you feel like that, then you need to go find that person. Not not spend years feeling like Katie did, which was like, look, I'm just going to hide because nobody really cares anyway. And, 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 and that really is, I mean, there's a lesson in there for you that you're sharing with people. Um, and, and for that alone, I'm, I'm just really grateful that you came on and did the podcast today. But so, okay, so she puts you, she makes you cry. We've all cried in an endo office, I'm assuming, at of some course. point. Right? <laughs> so she makes you cry. Uh, she, she makes you think, more importantly, that I do want to present who I am to the people I love. Yeah. Wow. Oh, see how simple that is? And, and so what, what's the first step when you're, when you're that many years? I mean, I'm doing rough math here, but when you're eight years into just ignoring your type one, what's your first step into not ignoring it anymore? How do you start? Cliffhanger. Let's do the ad right here, should we? You know, I'm constantly just really impressed with the people who come on the podcast and share so openly. But Katie is, man, she's really sharing openly today. And she's highlighting the importance of community. So Omnipod understands community too. They're doing their best to reach out on Facebook and Twitter. They've created a a feeling of, um, I really love it. Like it's called their Potter, you know, P-O-D-D-E-R. So I'd look for that hashtag if I was you on Twitter or on Facebook. Look for other people who use Omnipods, Potters. Not Harry Potter, that's Potter. Potter with a D, actually with two Ds, P-O-D-D-E-R. Check it out, see what other people are doing. I think what Katie's teaching us here is that there's nothing like looking out into the world and seeing somebody who can, you know, can get what you're going through. And I think Omnipod understands that too. So 
whether you're an Omnipod user or you're not, you know, check out other people using Omnipods online. Check out the photos, the stories. Uh, their Facebook page is excellent. They really should be commended on putting together a great Facebook page. Uh, you'll find it. You know, it's it's everywhere. But check out the Potter hashtag. Look for Facebook. Uh, look for Omnipod on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, and see what community feels like. And if you're part of the community already, share. Be a part of it. And if you're not, and you want to try Omnipod, go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo, and you can start a free no obligation demo right away. Become a Potter today. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo with the links in your show notes. Back to Katie. So um, that actually was a another hard thing. Mm-hmm. So I decided to start taking care of myself better. So just to kind of give you an idea of how bad it was before, my A1Cs would range between the 10 and 13 yeah. percent. So. You know, that's when you look at the charts of like complications, that's it's where your doctor got your feet falling off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And um, so then I start trying to take care of myself, which starts off really simple, like back to basics of, OK, let's bolus when we eat yeah, and sure. let's test our blood sugar. Um, and that's kind of all I was given. And so my A1Cs dropped to about between eight and nine percent with that so now you're down to eight or nine is what i think you see when people are earnestly trying but maybe don't have all the nuance to it yet yeah yeah right so well and they're telling you like a minimum of five times a day so you're testing five times a day and that feels so arbitrary and random you know yeah it doesn't give you any kind anywhere near the (laughs) the full picture of what's happening and and then it's hard to make decisions right right so um then, and I go through a ton of endocrinologists that are just, I had one that I, he put me on a trial CGM. I think it was probably the light, I don't know. But he put me on a trial CGM for a week and they insisted on putting it on my stomach. Well, my stomach has enough scar tissue from the years of I'm only putting it on my stomach that that wasn't working and so and um i think like my sight that day just happened to like bend and so i had a bad sight and a cgm on that tells you know i'm like 300 all day they're both hurting so i take them both off and then i go back to the endocrinologist and he goes okay we're upping your basal rates to what it was when you weren't receiving insulin and we only have this one day of data, but I'm going to up your basal rates over that. And I'm trying to tell him over and over again, like, no, that's not going to, like, I'm going to be low all the time if you do that. And he right. just won't listen to me. So I'm like, okay, you're out the door. And I finally get an endocrinologist that's like, let's get you a Dexcom. And I feel like that's really when the, like, when it all, when my good control started coming in. Okay. Well, so, well that, so, and that's not that long ago, right? Yeah, that was in January that I received it. Okay, so it's August now. Eight months later, mm-hmm. is it is it too simplistic to say night and day for you? It is 100% correct. It just, the light switch went on. Um, I, because I was, before the Dexcom arrived, I was really interested in it. I'm the type of person that, you know, you buy a keyboard and I research it for ever. So... I, 
I hear about the Dexcom, I start looking at the diabetic online community. I start like finding out these things like, hey, this is how you use an extended bolus. This is how you do like nutrition labels can be up to 20% off, like things like that, that I just had no idea. Stuff you wouldn't realize. And, and yeah. About. <laughs> and so, and so with more knowledge and with a view of your blood sugar more 24 seven than just testing a handful of times a day, you're able mm-hmm. to make better decisions Are better decisions. Like, you know, you pre bolus now for your meals. Yes. I pre bolus. And right. Yeah. Now, so let me tell you something. We'll get off the track real quick here, but I got a, I get a lot of emails from people and I love getting your emails. So keep sending them, but you know, um, my A1C went from this to this after I listened to the podcast or this happened or I stuck up for myself or all these great things. But one really struck me recently from a woman who went into her endocrinologist with a two point reduction in her A1C and the, and this is an adult with type one and the endo said, my, you know, just astonished. How did you go from the eights to the sixes? Like, what did you do? And this person starts describing pre bolusing and the endo responded, I've never heard of that before. Wow. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, those, those are the people that are giving us our information. Yeah. Of <laughs> I just really was like, how to wow. survive. <laughs> her, her, her doctor doesn't understand how insulin works. Yeah. <laughs> imagine, imagine all the other things that aren't being said or are being said incorrectly and, and leading people down unnecessary paths, not unlike the one you were on, you, you yeah. know, and it just, it's sad, but, um, but we're trying to reach people and, and, and let them know that there's other ways to think about stuff. And you're, you're a big part of that today. So, okay, Katie. So eight months in, what's mm-hmm. it feel like not to have high blood sugar? Um, it's amazing. <laughs> so I, I feel like seeing a 200 now is a rarity. It's, you know, something like, whoa, I must've missed something right. where in the past, you know, 300 or 400 wasn't rare to see. Right. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I have a lot more energy. <laughs> Did your husband notice? Happier. Uh, so actually the funny thing with that is, so having tighter control and figuring it out at first meant a couple of low blood sugars. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a nice person when I have low blood sugar. I don't think it so, is. <laughs> so I think that at first he was like, this is making you more grumpy. But I think now, he gets it. He gets it, yeah. yeah. Isn't that something? So so you don't, I mean, this, I'm going to extrapolate a little here based on everything you said, but how much do you let him into your world with diabetes? Is he, could you go to sleep for 24 hours and he could take care of you when you were not there? Or like, do you know what I mean? Like, or is he, does he know enough to stop a problem? What's your line of letting him into this world? Um. So he's the emotional support anything I feel like I can talk to him about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a little bit squeamish. <laughs> I had to convince him the first time to like, I probably inserted like three or four Dexcom insertions and then finally convinced him like, no, it's okay. You can watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's a little bit squeamish there. So I don't think that I would necessarily have him, you know, change my pot or anything like that. But um, he's very much, he knows, everything that I learned that I'm super excited to tell them about or um, with Omnipod, I've, I've started decorating pods and I'll show them, you know, like, Oh, here's look how cute this is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he's into like that part of it. At this point in the interview, my dogs go crazy. Let's fast forward through the craziness till when I come back. 
I'm going to start recording again. Um, Indy is getting older, and uh, little creaks and bumps now, I think, sound different to him than they did when, when he was younger. So <laughs> he, just, he just went at the front door like the, uh, like the military was coming in, and there's, there's no one there. <laughs> so that happens to me. I have a dachshund and a terrier. And they're locked upstairs right now. <laughs> Let me just but, say that I recognize that because in your Skype picture, you are wearing. Oh, you, yeah. You're wearing shirts with it with those two dogs on them. It's fantastic. We are, yeah. <laughs> All right, so now Indy's going through his ritual. He now he's been up, so he might as well get something to drink. Is everything good, buddy? You want to go late now? Now, now, Basil has decided if Indy's going to drink something, why not me too? Well, at least they did it right around the halfway point so we could put a break in in the, in the podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, before we get back to it, uh, and we are recording, but you mm-hmm. are very loose and relaxed and you sound like you're comfortable. Are you feeling okay? Yeah, I'm feeling uh, – it's better after you started yeah. talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's probably just – doesn't it just feel like we're on the phone really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good, good. All right, hold on a second. I'm going to get rid of these water bowls and then I will be right back and we'll get going. Okay. <laughs> Okay, guys. That's enough. Okay. There we go. Go lay down. Go ahead. Go lay down. Go ahead. Go lay down your back. Go lay your back. All right, Katie. Sorry about that. No problem. Let me get a drink, too, I guess, while everyone's drinking. Okay, so your life is a little exhausting <laughs> when, when I'm talking about it. it uh, when I'm listening to you talk, it, it just seems like it just seems like well more than you know I would I would hope you would have had to have gone through. You, you know, um, but at the same time, you're still very young, and it sounds like you're in a completely different path at this point. So. What, let's try to find the positive in this, right? Your time ignoring your diabetes, what is it, mm-hmm. what is it taught you? Um, what, well, one, to not put things off, uh, complications are something that I'm still, fortunately, I don't have any right now, but it's something that, like, I'm paying a lot more close attention to, and I feel like sometimes it's like, well, I may have already done the damage and it's going to happen soon. And so I feel like being able to think of things first, like, I I don't know, be able to look at the long term instead of the short term, I think is something that I've realized. And then also another thing is like, it's okay to be able to, tell someone like, I'm sorry, I have to step away for a second. I have low blood sugar or just eat, you know, an airhead in front of them or do what <laughs> like you need whatever to do. it is. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, nobody actually cares that much. Once you like come to the realization of it, like either they're going to be like, Oh, okay. Or they're going to, and the people who do it's are ridiculous. So Right. I mean, really the, le- to me, the lesson in this is that anybody who would, I wish I was younger so I could say something hip, like throw shade at you or something. I don't really know what any of that means, but but <laughs> like I, I, anybody who would, who would make you feel uncomfortable for doing what you need to do, whatever that may be, is not really someone whose opinion I care about. You, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't spend 
and this is where it's probably specific, more specific to me or people who have grown up like me or feel like I do or whatever, but I don't give any thought to things like that. You, you <laughs> know, like I couldn't possibly care less if someone didn't like what we were doing and, and it needed to be done. You, you, you know what I mean? And, and I would never give it a moment's thought afterwards either. Um, and, and it sounds like you're getting a little closer to that too. And you're, you're, you're from what part of the, do you, are you comfortable saying what part of the country you're from? Uh, yeah. So I'm from Utah. Okay. Because in the beginning of the conversation, as you described like a really well-meaning neighbor that, that stepped in and helped. And mm -hmm. then, and then you talked about, you know, a nurse who was a friend of the family who, who went to school and, and spoke for you. I was like, wow, she might be from like storybook land. But then you kept talking and I was like, oh no, never mind. <laughs> so no, no. That, that's not, those were the only two people she knew that were nice. And so, <laughs> um, it, you know, and so, I mean, the lessons there, it's funny. They're not exactly, they're not exactly medical lessons. They're more, they're more life lessons really. Like, you know, it, what you talked about is about looking forward and not putting off tomorrow and things like that. I think that's incredibly useful. It's powerful information for anybody in any part of your life. You can't just look at the floor and just concentrate on today. You have to see the bigger picture. Um, I was just talking about this on the phone with someone the other day um, when we were talking about like elevated people are, who are get very accustomed to accepting an elevated blood sugar because it doesn't seem that high. Um, you know, um, I was talking to somebody the other day who's like, oh, you know, the blood sugar got to 240 and, uh, you know, we waited a little longer. And I was like, what, you, what were you waiting for? You know, at 240, yeah. your blood sugars triple what it what it really should be, you know. And so, so what was it you were waiting for? Well, I wanted to see if this was going to happen or if the insulin was going to do something. And I was, and so we talked through it. And I was like, it's, not, it was never going to happen. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, like you 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 started a meal at 150 of a blood sugar. You bolused for what you thought you needed, but you didn't pre-bolus. So by the time the insulin started working, you were 250. You know, it started to drop a little bit, but that blood sugar is always going to stay about right there because not only did you start high, did you let your, did did the blood sugar get higher because there was no pre-bolus? But once you know the insulin was really peaking and working, you mm -hmm. only had enough insulin for the blood sugar of 150. You really started around 240, 250. So you already didn't have enough insulin for that other 100 points. It was never going to come down. Yeah. And, and you know, like I, I said, I think maybe you ought to just be more aggressive with the insulin. You know, if your blood sugar is that high, you've either mistimed or not or miscalculated how much insulin you need. And yeah. and and the the response back was very, you know, the person understood what I was talking about and they were totally going on. But there was that initial feeling of like, well, it was only another hour. You, you, you know, and, and everybody gets so comfortable with, oh, my blood sugar was high, but it only took me two hours to get it down. And, and I'll say, well, like, it, you know, don't get me wrong, Katie, and everybody mm -hmm. listening. Things go wrong. It happens yeah. all the time. You, you, you know, but day to day, for the most part, your blood sugar probably doesn't need to get into the 250s if you've, like I said, had some of those nuanced ideas of how to handle some of the things. Yeah. Um, and that's not the big issue. People learn those things. You know, like you have bad experiences like that. You take the data from it. You figure out how to do it better next time. That's all well and good. That's not the part that, that worried me. The part that worried me was just the like, well, it's just a couple hours. Except it's just a couple hours after this meal and just a couple hours after that meal and just a couple hours overnight. 
And, you know, well, Saturday was this. And then and then before you know it, is it just a couple hours, y- you know? Yeah. yeah so. Well, and by the time you actually bolus or give insulin, then that's at least another hour before, you know, it's really peaking. So I would much rather, I, I'll say it till the end, I would much rather fight with a blow blood sugar for a couple of minutes, stop a falling blood sugar, something like that. Right. And get it straight, then I would want to um, spend five hours fighting with with a high. Yeah. You know? No, low blood sugar is, you know, 10 minutes, the sugar's working, high blood sugar, that's at least an hour if you took care of it immediately. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, it, it just, it's all, it's all right there. Um, I'm sorry, I'm actually talking to Arden about her blood sugar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So she was in one of those situations where it was just a cacophony of things happened right before you and I were going to talk. My my son my son came downstairs a half an hour before you and I were going to talk and said, "Hey, I really need to eat something." And then he's doing SAT prep. He's like, "Then I have a four hour SAT prep test I have to take up in my room, and I want to do this." And he's like, "And you know, can I get can I get my head shaved today?" And then again, I was like, "Uh, yeah." And and Arden, who's been um living the bums lifestyle this summer, going to bed at two o'clock in the morning and getting up at noon and things like that. And so she comes rolling downstairs like 15 minutes before you and I are going to talk. And she's like, I'm hungry. And I was like, but Katie and I are about to do the podcast. <laughs> and, um, oh, hold on a second. She needs something. So um, I, I rarely have to do this, but she's upstairs and she needs something. Can I take a second? Yeah, no problem. All right, I'll come back and tell you all about it. Hold on one second. So we've had a dog interruption. We might as well have a low blood sugar interruption. After a couple of minutes, I come back and tell Katie all about it. Katie, I'm back. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so let me catch my breath. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you exactly what happened. Because I think that, oh my gosh, because I think that you probably heard me running back and forth a couple of times. Because I think that um, being transparent about this stuff and people always say you know oh gosh when you you tell me how this happened it all sounds like it's always so positive mm-hmm. and I say things like I'd rather battle with a low than than fight with a high and maybe that sounds arbitrary or or you know pie in the sky or something like that but here here's what just happened so one more deep breath because geez Katie am I out of shape um so <laughs> so at quarter of 12 Arden tells me she's hungry but I'm very low on time because Katie and I are about to talk on the podcast. And I'm sure everybody gets into that situation where you're rushing around for food. So what can you grab real quickly in five seconds? There's not a lot. So Arden says, well, I tested my blood sugar and I'm 93. So how about if I just have a bowl of cereal? Like she's like, just give me a big pre-bolus and I'll have a bowl of cereal and it'll be cool. And you know, like, I'm like, all right, so fine. Um, Usually cereal's kind of kept for, more panicky situations, but every once in a while, no big deal. And mm-hmm. I give Arden her bolus and we get her cereal and she goes upstairs. And now she's lounging in her bed, having eaten her cereal almost eh, probably an hour ago by now, a little less. And you and I are talking and I look over at her glucose monitor and it says 42 arrows down. Oh. So, okay. In my mind, while you and I are talking, I think, 
I know how much I gave her. I know how, how much she ate. I know what the pre-bolus was. It seems unlikely to me that she's 42 down, but that seems like something we should look into. So as you and I are talking a moment ago, I text her, hey, test, and I get back from her. I, I can't find my PDM. And I'm like, okay, well, then just start drinking a juice, and then let's find your PDM. I don't have a juice. <laughs> so, okay. So you and I say goodbye for a second. I grab a juice box. I go upstairs. Excuse me. I give it to her, and I'm like, here, start, start drinking this. Try to get half of it in, and I'll, we'll test your blood sugar. But we can't find her PDM. Now, we know we used it in her room to give her the pre-bolus. And it's not there. And it's you know, we're looking around. We're moving blankets. I'm on my knees looking under the bed. It's comical. Partly in the back of my head, I'm like, I need to find the PDM, obviously, because I need to test to be sure what her blood sugar is. And 42 down, if it really is 42 down, she's in trouble. So maybe the PDM's downstairs. So I go all the way back downstairs. I walk all through the house. It's not there. I go back upstairs. As I come back upstairs, now that we've moved the blankets... I can see that the PDM is just behind the laptop that she's watching Netflix on, which is Arden's summertime addiction. She's power watching some, some television show. So I'm like, oh, it's right here. I hold it up. She laughs at me. She goes, I don't feel low. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. And so we test and she's 64. So mm -hmm. 64 is not, of course, you know, optimal. I wasn't hoping for 64 an hour afterwards. Um, but it's certainly not the end of the world. Um, you know, is she 64 two down? I, I'm not sure, but she drank juice and you know, it's going to be okay. I am now down here talking to you again mm -hmm. with no anxiety in my heart whatsoever. Yeah. And so I've seen this enough. Like I know what this is. I know how to handle it. I can tell you right now that my guess is that by the time you and I get done talking in about 15 minutes, that Arden CGM will be right back to probably, I don't know, 90. You know, she'll probably be diagonal up even. I'll probably mm -hmm. end up, probably end up higher than, than we want to be after this cereal, but because of the juice. But so it's just slightly mistimed. And while that seems like a terrible thing to deal with, I still maintain that this situation is better than her blood sugar being 380 for three hours. Yeah. yeah that, that's just honestly how I feel about it. So and are you finding that too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that I kind of been more pan, like it used to be the opposite. If I was low, you know, go in and eat the kitchen as everyone says. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, that was something actually that was interesting learning how to control the, when I'm low, just eat a certain amount because dealing with, you know, a 300 blood sugar afterwards is that's when complications come. That's when things happen. That's when you start trading comfort today against your long-term health. When you start mm -hmm. thinking I'd rather not be, a little scared. I'd rather not be scared is how you figure it. You, I'd rather not be in some dire situation and then whatever comes, comes. But I'm hoping that talking about something that just literally happened right now live and, and showing people how I feel about it, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, see, that, that it helps them see that 
it's still better to deal with this every once in a while. Like, keep in mind, this doesn't happen, you know, very often does. You know, maybe it happens, you know, like this, I don't know, every five weeks, you know, something like that. But I'd rather deal with this a half a dozen times a year than for the opposite to be true constantly because I fear this happening. Now, yeah. now, Katie, this is about the time we say that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Talk to your doctor, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I mentioned to you that I would not nearly be this bold without a glucose monitor. Absolutely. It would be very difficult for me to do that. So, um, you know, so maybe it's not for, it's not for everybody, but there is a, a, there's a portion of it that you could do without a glucose monitor. You could be a little more aggressive. You could test a little more frequently if you're going to pre-bolus. You know, there are steps you could take to still put yourself in a better situation. Arden's endo appointment is, I think, next week. I have absolutely no idea what it's going to be, but I don't expect it to be too high. I don't expect it to move too much from where it was last time. And I expect to be able to come back on here and tell you it's been three solid years of her having an A1C somewhere around six. And, mm-hmm. and that to me is, um, I think it's worth this, I guess. And yeah. you know, it just sort of is what it is until, until technology moves forward more, you know, maybe artificial pancreas, um, algorithms keep stuff like this from happening. Maybe the insulins get better. Maybe a lot of things happen, but until then, this is the game, you know? So anyway, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and you have a, a unique perspective on the other side of it. So do you, how often do you consider the time you spent with your blood sugar that high? And uh, do you live worried about what's coming or do you try not to? Um, so anything that happens that is kind of like a normal, like, Oh, I've got a Charlie horse or something like that. I always, it always crosses my mind like, oh, that could be something else. I should look into this and, you know, I go and Google all the symptoms. And I'm actually in school right now and I'm taking human diseases. Okay. And it's made me a hypochondriac. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and so, like, everything, like, I kind of do it with everything. Like, oh, I have that. And then I go and look and it's like, actually, I don't have that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> What diseases have you considered for a few moments that you have? Um, so one that's actually interesting, one thing that I do actually have that there isn't a lot of research on, um, and I used to think it was a diabetes complication, it's called necrobiosis lipoidica diabeticorum, which is a mouthful, but um, it's like red spots on your shins. Okay. Um, and it's caused from broken blood vessels. And... And that's kind of all it is unless it ulcerates. But um, I used to think that that was a diabetes complication, which really upset me. Like, look what I've done to myself. Um, but then I've read more research on it, and they actually don't know what causes it. Isn't that interesting? People without diabetes get it. So. so you were beating yourself up over nothing, maybe. Well, but it, you know, it was probably part of the reason that I got a wake up call. So Oh no kidding. Oh that's so interesting. Good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> whatever, whatever gets you there, right? That that's yeah. that's definitely <laughs> that's that's the motto to live by, I think. Um yeah. wow. I've also thought I've had um ptosis, which is like your eye drooping. So I'll like go and stare at the mirror and I'll be like I'll ask my husband like, do you think that my face is drooping? And he'll be like, No. And <laughs> <laughs> I've asked a coworker before, like, do you think this side of my face is a little bit lower? And 
No. <laughs> Katie, are you still reading about things? Is that so? What's what's the degree you're looking for? Yeah. Uh, what are you trying to What are you trying to accomplish? Um, I think it was something I was looking for more at the beginning, and uh, I don't know uh, if you've ever browsed Reddit for in the diabetes subreddit. Not too much, but I know it exists, and I've been through it a couple of times for sure. So anytime they post anything, which is well, when I used to browse it more often, I have it for a while, but whenever they would, you know, post something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe I have that. I know, and go Google it. <laughs> so, so, but you said you're in school, right? I am in school, yeah. And, and what's your degree going to be in? Uh, community health education. And what do you hope to do with that? Um, so, that plus some other certifications and stuff, I actually hope to be a diabetes educator. Excellent. Where someday you will offer someone a hug instead of telling them their feet are going to fall off. Yes. And I definitely think it's something, you know, that more diabetics being involved in diabetes care is something that I think is greatly needed. So just having that, that actual like real life perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's really good. That's amazing of you. And and I think you are a hundred percent right. It would be nice. Excuse me. It would be nice not to say, that after a year, most people end up knowing more about their diabetes than their doctor. It would be nice to say that my doctor is always offering me something new as I come in the door instead well, of, instead of I just go there to get my A1C done and I, I leave with my new scripts yeah. and that's the end of it, you know? Well, and I think with, you know, new technology coming out and tighter control, I've heard a lot of people that are getting yelled at almost for having an A1C of a six or below a six and you know that's where mine sits unfortunately i have a endocrinologist right now that's like hey you're doing awesome but some people are being told like oh you should raise your you know your alert to 80 or you know to 100 because that a1c is just too low and i think that that's old information i think that's like something kind of common in the medical field in general that doctors sometimes are telling you what they learned in school mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily keeping up on like what's the what's new... happening now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know a doctor who won't see doctors that are over a certain age. Yeah. And <laughs> he just says that they, they, they fall out of touch at some point. Um, yeah. probably not everybody, but you know, to, to, to some degree or another. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, my endo will ask me, you know, how many lows did you have? And I'll say, I'll tell her like, well, I don't know. We've had like a panicky thing once every four or five weeks. Um, you know, I've seen Arden go into the mid fifties and sit there for a little while overnight. It takes me a little while to bring it back up again, but you know, no, like no twenties or, or, you know, or, or anything crazy, not, nothing scary. And I think that's when you can't see the data that what the doctor's saying is, wow, if you're, if your a one sees this low, I don't believe you have good control of your blood sugar. So I'm more apt to believe that you're getting insanely low sometimes and it's skewing this A1C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and, that, and that's their fear. And then so instead of saying that to you or taking steps to find out if it's true or not, they just say, well, raise your A1C a little bit so I don't have to worry about you getting too low. Yeah. It's just a, it's a backwards concept, actually. Yeah. And, well, and with people with a, a CGM, it kind of shows like, 
how little they're looking into the information. There's a graph right there that tells you your hypoglycemic risk. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and no, and no one's even paying attention to it. Like I have yeah. it right here for you to look at. Did you want to read it? And maybe they don't even know what they're looking at. You never know. Yeah. Katie, this has been an odd hour. Um, as <laughs> I've never had to run away from the microphone so many times in an hour, uh, which is why most of the ones I have scheduled to record in the upcoming future are going to be after my children go back to school. Uh, but <laughs> in the end, it sort of made a, an opportunity to talk about something in a real, in a very real way. So I'm, I'm glad it happened. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that you came on and I'm happy you don't feel as nervous as you did when you started. So <laughs> do you have any, uh, did I miss anything? I know you could, because you were the one that asked to come on. So is there something we didn't talk about that you wish we would have? Uh, no, I think like just kind of be comfortable with diabetes and like, and I actually, I heard the podcast with, um, Ian, right, the fourteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah, he was so yeah. cool. And I, like, I definitely see the value in being able to, you know, keep things private when they need to be private. But I think that, like, not being afraid to just, like, let diabetes be a part of your life. I guess, like, don't embrace it and not. Yeah. Um. I think, and I know Ian listens. So hey, Ian, what's up? I think that. <laughs> everybody's perspective grows in time and I think Ian's will too. And you can almost see when he's speaking where he's going to end up. He's just not there yet. Um, and I think that all of us are in that situation and it's probably good to remember that at some point that you're just in the middle of a growth and, and that you will probably not feel today the you know, tomorrow the way you feel today. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing, but it was really, it was really, really valuable to hear you say it, to hear him say it, and to remember that one thing to stay private's not, not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah you know, so, um, yeah, everybody's got their own way of dealing, and, and they all need to be respected. So, you guys were great. Uh, he was great for coming on, and so were you. I really, really genuinely appreciate you doing this. Uh, tell me your dog's names again. So, there's a Scotty Terrier. Is that right? Yeah. So, her name is Kai. Mm-hmm. And, what about- and then the dachshund is Sophie. Nice. And she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Will they go Definitely. nuts when you release them after you get off? Um, so I we actually are usually upstairs. So I think they'll be okay. I don't they bark at phantom noises and stuff. In fact, I don't know if you heard them barking because they're kind of far away. I heard them a couple times, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. I, well, it's very cool. Are you and your husband? My last question was, and I'm sorry to act like I'm ending and then remember that I wanted to ask you one more thing. But <laughs> after you've had all that time with your blood sugar high and you're worried about complications, et cetera, and you're in a new marriage, are you thinking about having children? Um, that is a good question. Um, I think that we probably aren't going to have kids um, for more than just diabetes, but it plays a part. Um, but we are people who like to travel a lot and... We're both very into our career. You know, he's a programmer, so he's having fun doing that. And it's not something that we see right now. I think that people always tell us we'll change our minds. And it's like, well, I'm 27. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to tell you that you change your mind. I don't think that. I think, listen, I think it's more likely that you'll go to a wedding, come home a little inebriated, end up with a baby nine months later than it is that you'll change, (laughs) that you'll change your mind. But, but, um, but 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 I think that I don't think it's I don't think you'll change your mind. I think that it's really brave and 
and strong of you to say that this is who we are and I'm not, we're not going to buckle to, to societal pressures about what it is we're supposed to be doing. This is how we want to live our lives and this is what we're going to do. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a pretty foreign concept in Utah where, where yeah. I'm from, but... <laughs> Listen, whatever. <laughs> Again, Katie, don't forget a little bit of whatever, right? right? A little bit of exactly. I don't care what you think doesn't hurt anybody <laughs> at all. All right, well, I really appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you.